This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. So here's the result of that action known as hoping, right? When you're hoping in God, you're fixing the lens of your soul on that which is a superior truth. It has superior power. It is able to overwhelm and overcome all of your obstacles and circumstances. What are you focused on? And when you fix the focus of your soul to see what matters most, then what is the result is hope. And so here's a definition of hope. It's sort of an Eric Ludi definition for a message called, you know, the focal point. It's, it's, you know, it's me playing into this theme. The exquisite inner solace and stability. Oh, I like that. That's a, that's a well-stated thing, Eric. Listen to this again because it's so, uh, you know, poetic that it needs to be said again. The exquisite inner solace and stability found when a Christian is convinced of a far greater reality than the one currently surrounding their life circumstances and focuses, centers, and rallies their soul gaze around this greater reality with resolution and doggedness. There is a lot of noise in our culture. There's a lot of reasons to throw up your hands, to give up praying. Is your praying really doing anything, says the devil. Uh, you know, you've been doing a lot of praying, oh, church at Ellerslie. You know, remember you're praying uh, that Haman would be hung on his own gallows, that, the, you know, God would steer this nation towards righteousness. Uh, so how's that going? In other words, in any given moment, you could recognize that it doesn't seem to be working. And yet your job is not to gauge your confidence based on what the circumstances are around you, but what God has published what he has promised, what he has declared, that is where your hope comes from. You root yourself in his word, which is clear. Has he changed? Has he altered? Did he mumble and fumble his way through communicating this to us, or did he make it clear? And if he did, let's believe it right now. And if you do, you have hope. And that hope can never be taken from you because it is an issue of your choice, your will to focus on that which is true. And if you do, you have that exquisite what it, inner solace and stability. And as a result, you can stand strong in the midst of a collapsing world. The odd strategy of Christian pessimism. So for those of you that hung out with me this week, I, was, I, I brought this up like three times, okay? And so you could sort of see how my brain has been churning on this this week. But I was at some event on Tuesday night, and I was talking to a guy across the table. It was, it was a dinner uh, engagement. And I, we were talking about what a unique time in history it is to be alive. And he said something like, yeah, and it's only getting worse. And Here's what's interesting is I'm going to call it the odd strategy of Christian pessimism is this is a very normal thing in our world today and it's become very normal amongst us to speak these words that, ta- that sound like the world is 
coming apart and it's just going to get worse. And I understand why we're doing it. Okay, I just want to get that out of the table. And that is because there's many Christians out there that want to live in a certain denial, that everything's fine, the church is healthy, and, and God's totally happy with where the church is at. You know, we're headed in the right direction. We're becoming more like the culture every day, and isn't that good? And then there's some of us that are like, this isn't good. <laughs> we're headed in the wrong direction. And don't you recognize what the Bible says, that there is going to be a great persecution that awakens against the church? And so, but the church seems to be burying its head in the sand. And so there's this opposite response, which is to almost begin to declare and try and stir up the body of Christ to, to almost be anxious. Because if they could, we could get them anxious, then maybe they would take it seriously. And maybe they would start prepping their soul for the upcoming challenges that they need to be readied for. And guess what? There's a part truth in that. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are working within the church to ready us for what's ahead. As a parent, I'm always readying my kids for life that is ahead of them. And the Spirit of God is no different. God is a good father. He wants to ready us for something. And so I think we feel like our role is to speak ill of our future so that it will somehow spark a readiness in us. Like we'll sober up and we'll get serious about this thing called life as a Christian on earth in the midst of hostilities. And so let me get something out on the table. I'm not saying that I don't think... Uh, the same things. It, it could get worse in the future, sure. I, but I would like to emphasize could. You know, that there could be worldwide revival that breaks out and everything could shift in a completely different direction. And that could happen too. In other words, I don't want to speak of what's going to happen in the future. What I want us to do is focus. What I want us to do is make sure that the lens of our soul is situated properly on what matters most. So no matter if it's some difficulty ahead or it's some trauma and tragedy. Well, that sounded like I was going to contrast. Some trauma and tragedy and difficulty or some great blessing and benefit that comes, we are ready for either because our focus is where it ought to be. So this is the odd strategy of Christian pessimism, and some of you have heard these things many times. Some of you have said them. It's going to get worse now, I don't want to argue that and you know, say, no, it's not. However, what I'm wanting to say is, where is your focus? Because when you're looking at the world and the trajectory of the world, the devil has a whole business that he's involved in. And if you make your business the devil's business, you'll get depressed really quick. Have you ever thought about what God's business is? You should get a PhD in what God is doing in this earth. Because very, Christians, very few Christians ever do. They're always talking about what the devil's doing in this earth, and very few of them are like, have you seen what God's doing these days? I mean, God is up to this, God is up to this, and I bet God's going to pull off this too. Just wait till God pulls this off. Instead, we're always talking about what the enemy's doing. We will all be facing extreme difficulty soon. To be a Christian is going to get harder and harder. It's going to get darker and darker. I hope you're ready for misery. Okay, now, I, that isn't much of an exaggeration, okay? And many of you know and have felt inner trauma when people have said things like this, because, oh, and you feel that you, like your soul braces. It's like, oh, dear Lord, when did I get born? Why did I have to be born now? And that's the opposite of how hope works. I just want you guys to know that. Hope doesn't focus on all of that. It focuses on your Savior, the one who will carry you through whatever challenge lies ahead. 
If you fix your focus of the soul on your Savior, on your Christ, on his victory, you can face anything. And if you start with that as a premise, it doesn't matter what the anything is. You don't need to discuss what the anything could be because you are being groomed by the Spirit of God by hoping in the Lord. When you hope, it exercises your soul in truth. And when you exercise your soul in truth, you become muscular and fit to face challenge. And as a result, should you fear challenge? Should you be anxious about challenge? No, as far as I'm concerned, you could get excited about it because you will be ready for it. And there is no greater demonstration of the kingdom of heaven than a Christian facing challenge like a Christian. And so as a result, since your desire is to see Jesus win in this world, your job is to hope in the Lord. That's your job. You fix your gaze upon the one who will do it. It is not up to you. It is not up to your muscle of soul. It is not up to the sinew of your raw desire. It is up to him. His ability has always been your secret of salvation. It was never up to you. So when you fix your focus on the one who can do it, you will do it. You will make it through whatever trial you face. You do not need to focus on all the noise around you. You can focus on that which is true, that which is noble, that which is of good report. You can focus on that which is pure. You do not need to focus on that which is evil, that which is dark, that which is against you. If you focus on that which is godly, you will win this battle. The art of balancing the natural with the supernatural, it's an issue of focus. I have real things going on in my life that are threats, and they could compromise or undermine what I represent and what I do. They could harm my marriage, they could harm my family, they could harm my ministry, they could harm my church. Well, that's a lot to deal with, right? And there could be laws. There are people that were just elected that could actually pass a law that could harm what I feel called to. Oh, no. What's a godly man to do? Focus. You see, those things are real, but I have a job to do, and my job isn't to try and, you know, fret my way to a great solution. It's to have hope in the Lord. In every circumstance, my job is to fix my gaze on the one who can do it. And when I fix my gaze on the Lord, guess what? He gives me wisdom. He gives me advance notice of things I need to do. He strengthens me for whatever challenge or trauma I may face ahead. And so I can see no benefit in making those other things my focus. But I can see tremendous benefit in making Jesus Christ and him crucified my focus. And when I do, I will be ready for whatever challenge comes. And if there is a law that is passed, guess what? I'll have wisdom for it. And God will lead me through that. And he will triumph through me. Why? Not because Eric is something special, but because Eric is putting his hope in the Lord. When my faith centers upon the one who can do it, then there is strength in the playing it out. Peripheral vision, keeping that which is peripheral, peripheral. So, you know, when I'm talking with men about how to handle their eyes, their eyesight, and what they look at. There's a lot of things in this world that we shouldn't be focused on, but they're still there, right? I didn't put up that billboard. I didn't set that you know, magazine in the checkout line. 
Hey, I, I'm innocent, but I have to somehow make it through that checkout line. I have to somehow make it down that interstate. What's a godly man to do? Focus. You see, you have a peripheral gaze, but you have a focal point to your gaze. And it's what you're doing with your focal point that actually matters the most. The fact that things are out there and they're trying to allure your focus does not mean they win. What you do with your focus is what matters. And so that's a great illustration of the Christian life right there. It's called temptation. It's the bait of the enemy. Look over here. Hey! And he's making this noise over here, clanging pots together. You need to see this. I need to see this. You need to remember what you're here for and what your soul gaze was given you for, what it's meant to focus on. God says, hope in the Lord. Put your gaze, put your focus, put your trust right here. I will take care of you. But what about this, God? I got some clanging pots over here and the enemy's saying, if I don't look at them, bad things are gonna happen to my life. And I'm telling you, ignore those clanging pots. And you focus on me, and I'll deal with those clanging pots in my way. Philippians 4.8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We have an issue of focus. And Paul is giving us a very clear understanding of everything I'm saying in one scripture. He's saying, there it is. You make this your focus, and the rest of your life is going to start working. So let's look at it again. And I'm going to emphasize the the key words in there, whatever things are true. So if you were just to take each one of these, and you were to start fixing and recalibrating your focus around these things, Because many of us feel obligated to spend time thinking about things outside of this list and to meditate upon them and make them the focus of our life. I'm not saying they're not there. Like it doesn't say whatever things are involving you paying bills. It doesn't say that up there, but that doesn't mean you're not supposed to deal with your bills, by the way. Okay, it's just not your focus of life. You see, you can deal with something and not make it your focus. I could go and vote uh, this last Tuesday and it doesn't mean I made it my focus in life. And it, doesn't, it shouldn't change my emotional state of being whether who I voted for wins or doesn't. Because my confidence isn't in a political party. It's also not in a specific character to somehow save our government. I care and I have desires for our nation. And I have desires in the civil sphere of how it would function, sure. But my hope doesn't rest there. If my hope begins to rest in the civil government, I am a depressed character right now. But it doesn't, and that's why I can actually walk with triumph through a Super Tuesday, even if it wasn't very super. And I can cherish the living God and say, He is the one I trust. He will carry us through. He is leading us. He is giving His church wisdom. In fact, He's going to use even these circumstances to awaken us. Praise God. This is a blessing, maybe in disguise. Let's cherish it. But that comes from focusing and putting hope in the Lord. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything, is there any virtue? And if there is anything praiseworthy? Now, 
instead of meditate on these things, I'd switch that out for this. Make these your focal point. This is the place of focus. This is what God says, meditate on this. Fix your gaze on this. Think on this. The power of a diagnosis. You go to the doctor and they give you that dire diagnosis. I'm very, very sensitive to diagnoses because they are very powerful instruments. They're almost like a clanging pot off to the side to say, you need to make this your focus. And it is a statement of fact over your life from someone that isn't God, okay? I'm just gonna call it what it is. It does not mean it's not true. It does not mean it's not based on some facts. It's just a diagnosis can easily become a different focus. And it can become the identity of your life. This is who I am, this is my future. That is defined by God Almighty, not by a doctor. And so as a result, I'm not trying to just have the power of positive thinking to say, I don't have cancer, I don't have cancer, I don't have cancer. Your body may have cancer, but that doesn't mean it becomes your focus. A diagnosis can very oftentimes absorb the focus of the human soul, which is why I want you to be very, very watchful of it. There's all sorts of titles you could have. If you're a little hyperactive, there's there's names for that, uh, and there's titles that you can come under, and it can actually begin to define who you are, and you begin to make that your identity instead of your identity is found in Jesus Christ, and so as a result, I'm just going to talk about diagnoses real quick. The power of a diagnosis, it can easily become the focal point, the foundation of one's belief, the eradication of one's hope, and the director of one's expectation. I don't have any hope to live very long because I got a diagnosis. And so what's your expectation in life? Well, the doctor said I have three to five months to live. And so your expectation, everything is now centered around a diagnosis instead of what God has said to you. And so as a result, I'm not saying it's not based on certain truths or certain facts scientifically. I'm talking about a superior truth, capital S. The Christian always gazes upon the superior and not the inferior realities around us. Sure, that may be true. Your bank account may be totally empty right now. Fix your gaze and your hope upon Jehovah Jireh, the one who has seen your circumstances before you arrived and knows of them and has promised to supply for them. This is how God works but our job is to gaze in the right direction and not to allow this world and its systems and its laws to distract us from center. So a diagnosis of cancer. What happens with a diagnosis of cancer? I remember walking through this with my dad. My dad received a diagnosis. I mean, he, my dad this past December passed away uh, and it was due to cancer. So I've walked through this with him, but about 10 years before that, he was diagnosed with cancer. But he didn't die from that. Isn't that interesting? In other words, the cancer that he was diagnosed with 10 years earlier, he didn't die from that. He had it in his body at the time he died, but it was uh, basically neutralized. And how my dad walked through it was a very interesting tactical thing. And it was very, it was a challenge for all of us. It's like, what do, what do you do? Do you make the cancer, your focus now, because that's what he's supposed to do. So here's what happens with a diagnosis of cancer. You are dying. It's a statement. The future you dreamed of is ruined. 
You are weak and unable to do anything of weight or substance. You must make your personal comfort and your health your chief focus. This is the bait, the clanging pots. Is it based on something that's real? Yeah, your body really is breaking down, and it may have something in it, sure. However, what is the gaze of the soul? Is the gaze of the soul on your challenge, on your impediment, on your difficulty? Because it doesn't have to be cancer. You could have a cancer in all sorts of different forms. You could have a financial cancer in your life. You could have a relational cancer in your life. There's a lot of cancers you can have that are breaking down, and they're real, and they're eating away at your life, your resource, your time, your attentions. There's a lot of different things that can try and eat away at your health. And the moment a diagnosis comes in and says, yeah, that's, a, that's an irreparable relationship. Oh, yeah, well, your financial situation, you better just declare bankruptcy. There's no way out of that. Whatever it is, I don't care. There are de declarations or diagnoses of a dire future that the enemy loves to press on us. The question is, if you're a believer, what are you focused on? Do you listen to the diagnoses of this world, the clanging pots of the enemy that try and say, this is what you now believe in. This is your hope in your future. This is your expectation. You can't get out of that. And the moment you submit to that is the moment it does become your belief system. But you are a believer in something so far superior to anything this world could ever concoct and throw at you. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about a diagnosis of salvation. Most of us don't call it that. But in other words, imagine someone coming in and go, hmm, you look like a believer in Jesus. And they poke at you a little. Wow, you have faith. Wow, you have hope in the living God. In other words, if we were going to be properly diagnosed, we should be diagnosed with salvation. We have something. Wow, what do you have in there? Looks like you have eternal life. Wow, what does that mean? You see, if this was our focus, if we understood who we were, if the Spirit of God could just come up to us today and freshly poke us and give us a diagnosis of salvation, it changes everything. You have life. Well, that's a very different diagnosis than you're dying. My mortal body is going to die. I'm okay with that. However, I have life. What am I focused on? The fact that I'm dying physically or the fact that I have life in Christ Jesus? There's a superior truth there, guys. It's on the table and you just need to take it. You have the Holy Spirit living within. You have a Father that is good and is inclined toward your benefit. You have a wonderful future full of grace and good things. Your God is a very present help in your challenge. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if I was going to add one more thing, and as a result, you can make your focus something other than self. You can make your focus the living God and what he is focused on in this world. You see, you've been set free. You have something called salvation. Where'd you get that from? You got it from him. And you got it by turning your gaze upon him and looking upon him for it. He has what I need. I believe. And when you do that, it's interesting, but all good things come through that focus of soul. All bad things come when you get distracted from that focus of soul. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, the Christian's focal point. It's a person. And when we make Jesus Christ our focus, our life works. 
I know, guys, I'm sort of famous for this one scripture, but it really fits well into the message. Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And for those of you that have heard me teach on this in the past, it's a great word to unpack for our message. That word translated as simplicity is singularity of focus. So let's read it. I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the singularity of focus that is in Christ. Stay focused. You see, what Paul is concerned about is that the bait of the enemy, just like Eve fell for it, hey, do you see this fruit over here? That we would get distracted by the clanging pots and pans instead of remembering the singularity of focus. I was pondering a way of saying it that might spark sort of a feast of understanding in your soul, and I don't know that I have it, but one of the ways that it was doing it for me is this. Instead of the singularity of focus, I was thinking about the pleasure or the pleasurability, I don't know if that's the right uh, way of saying it, but the pleasure of focusing singularly on Christ, that this is actually what sets us free. I don't have to get a, a, a doctoral degree in all the problems of this world to live successfully. I could make him my entire focus, and he, when I make him my pursuit, when I seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, then all these other things fall into place. It actually sets us free, and it's the greatest pleasure. You guys have to admit it. Any of you that have ever seen Jesus, known Jesus, been able to bask in his beauty and his glory, and God says, stay right here. This is where I want you, right there. But God, how am I going to deal with all these other things in life? I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to stay focused here and to deal with all these other things. But you do not need to take your focus and fix it on these other issues of life to be able to serve me. I want you to serve me by focusing here. And then I'll teach you how to deal with the peripheral. I will teach you how to be successful with the peripheral and so that the peripheral cannot rob from the reason I created you. When the world is crumbling, where's your focus? When we were going through uh, our COVID season, I don't know if any of you guys remember that season. It's, I know it's a little distant and maybe fading in your memories now. But the world really did feel like it was starting to fall to pieces. I don't know if you remember those riots. Uh, you remember that autonomous zone up in Seattle. Remember that? It just felt like, okay, everything is just going sideways uh, really quick. And when you're going through that, that's a great opportunity to test your soul. Because when everything's easy, you can far, you know, it's a little easier to say, oh yeah, my focus is Jesus Christ because everything's going well for you. Ironically, when things are going well, it isn't always Jesus that's your focus. You just might convince yourself it is. But when things are going bad, you often ten oftentimes have a tendency to focus on what is bad, what is wrong with your life. For instance, if you have financial challenges, most of your mind is fixed on solving your financial problems or moaning about your financial problems. So when you have a challenge in your life, you have a tendency to fixate, which is a good word for focus, on the evil that is taking place or the trauma or the difficulty or the challenge instead of on the truth. And so when, you're, when your world is falling apart or the world is falling apart, where do you focus? 
And that's the question of this entire message. I mean, I could have just started there and ended there, right? And I just said, your focus is supposed to be on Jesus Christ. It sounds like an oversimplification. It's like, well, that sounds really good, Eric, but I have issues in my life that have to be tended to. So do I. And yet my gaze needs to be on the source of salvation. You see, when I take my gaze and I stick it on the circumstances instead of on my source of salvation, Jesus Christ, then I have to be a mini savior to rescue myself. Because the way that Jesus says he can rescue me is when I put my hope in him. Lord, here's my situation. My world is crumbling, so here's my solution. I'm going to follow what you tell me to do. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to delight myself in you. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to fix the focus of my soul on you, on your ability, on your ability to provide, on your ability to heal, on your ability to restore, on your ability to redeem. You can do this. And when you do, it's amazing, but the peripheral is tended to. Your peripheral will be tended to when you make Jesus Christ your hope. So where is your focus? Is it on the power of a cancer or on the power of your Savior? Cancers, I'm not just talking about physical cancers. I'm talking about any kind of cancer, a financial cancer, a relational cancer. If your focus is on a cancer, then the cancer has power over you. It really does. If your focus is on the power of your Savior, your Savior has power in your life. So it could be true that darkness is plotting to destroy you, that evil people have claimed positions of power, that greater testings of faith lie up ahead. It could be true that your bank account is empty, your physical body is weak, your family relationships are broken, and your soul is currently undergoing trauma. So I'm not trying to deny these things. I'm not trying to act like they don't exist. I'm saying, yes, they may exist. But there is something more true. There is a superior reality with a capital S that actually is meant to be our source of salvation in and through these processes. But there is a superior truth. So here's just four quick things that popped into my head as I was prepping this. You remember Elisha and uh, his servant? Yes, I share that story a lot too. The Syrian army is diddly squat comparatively. Do you remember? Lord, open my servant's eyes that he would see. And there's a mount mountains full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Who has the greater army? God. And so even though the Syrian army looks so impressive, what do you focus on? Lord, open your servant's eyes that we would see that those that are with us are greater than those that are against us. When you focus on Jesus, you're focusing on that which is greater than that which is against you. The Midianites are nothing next to God. little Gideon reference there. Uh, <clears throat> what do we have? 300 over here, and we have over 200,000 Midianites over here. Gulp. In the natural realm, it is daunting. What do you focus on? God is able to do it. I don't care how small you feel. Your God is the secret of salvation. Goliath is a shrimp compared to the captain of the host. I know, Goliath is a pretty tall guy, big, you know, undefeated champion of Gath. However, what does David fix his gaze on? Does he fix it on the size of Goliath or does he fix it on the size of his God? Where you fix your gaze defines the strength of your life or the weakness of your life spiritually. The three armies, this is a nod towards Jehoshaphat, the three armies can't stand against the Almighty. Judah against three armies, massively outmanned and outgunned. And yet God gives his word 
and says, you will not need to go out against them. You will need to go out against them, but you do not need to fight. I will fight for you. When you fix your gaze on the truth, you have a God who will fight for you. Though the armies in size seem so massive compared to your natural man's strength. And it could be true. I mean, you take any of these stories, you match David against Goliath, and David, in the natural sense, is a shrimp. And yet he looks at Goliath as the shrimp because he's looking at something bigger than Goliath. In the natural realm, we are weak. In the natural realm, we have serious problems that we can't overcome. Granted. But we have a Savior in the midst of all of this challenge. And when we fix our gaze there, we have a solution to all of our difficulties. The art of choosing the good part, bustling or being. I feel like my mom would be really happy if she heard me say that. My mom used to always say, Eric, God didn't create us as human doings. He created us as human beings. It's like, thank you, mom. I don't know what to do with that, but thank you. So now I just stuck it in, in my thing. We have Martha. Remember Martha and Mary, and Jesus is coming to visit, and Martha is not going to choose the good part. She's going to get distracted. In fact, that's actually the word that is used to describe her. She's distracted. Mary, on the other hand, has the right focal point, and she is going to choose the good part. Let's just read the story. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. My sister's like focused on Jesus Meanwhile, I got all these peripheral issues in life that have to be tended to. Jesus, could you correct? You know, these people that are, you know, focused on Jesus. We have issues in this world. We have, you know, a total meltdown of our culture. Get your church to start dealing with all these things. And surprisingly, Jesus is going to do a very different thing that most of us would guess. Because most of us are just like Martha in our thinking. We have to tend to all these things But Jesus is going to be clear that those are distractions. That the secret actually to walking in agreement with God is to do what Mary is doing. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Psalm 71, 14. It's, it's a great psalm. I'm going to read you a good portion of it in just a second here, but I want to get sort of the kicker line. Remember, if you look at hope as being focused in your soul on that which is true, on that which is uh, superior to everything else around you, but I will hope continually. In other words, that, and if we were Nathan, we'd say the word continually in the Hebrew means continually. Doesn't that sound a little like Nathan, right? It actually means forever. That this is a consistent pattern of behavior always. And David is saying, I will hope and I will put my focus here always. And no matter what's happening, I'm going to choose to keep my focus here. And I will praise you yet more and more. 
Now, what's interesting is because we can be very impressed with that statement. That's a beautiful statement. But the context of that statement is even more profound because he's in the midst of disaster. He's in the midst of accusation. He's in the midst of hostilities. He's in the midst of trauma. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he is going to hope continually in the Lord. So let's look at it. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Never let me be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust for my youth. My enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. I sort of feel like that's a quote from the modern day. The church looks so weak, and I think we look like easy prey right now. And so this is the statement. They lie in wait for my life and they take counsel together saying, God has forsaken him, pursue and take him for there is none to deliver him. Oh boy, do I want to prove that wrong. Oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. Listen to his resolve. But I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. Learning to preach to your soul, make it loud and clear. I had to learn this a long time ago because I don't have people that are barking at me and preaching at me. And so I've had to learn to preach to myself. In fact, a lot of situations that I'm in, I'll actually ponder and say, what would I say to someone if they came to me and asked that question? Or if they were in this despondent state, what would I say to them? And then I bark that same thing at myself. It's just truth, right? And truth is the elixir. We all need to hear it. And so here's a great illustration of David in Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. There's the command. Hope in God. Hey, soul, focus. You have a Savior you have one who is greater than all of this. The mountains are full of horses and chariots of fire all around you. Get those eyes open to see it. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And then again, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him and the help of my countenance and my God. And again, in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Why are you cast down, O soul? Why are you disquieted within? And you do know how the statement continues from there, right? Hope in God. That's the message today. It's simple. It's elementary level. There's nothing really complicated about this message. Nothing that impressive about what Eric just said. It's like, wow, Eric is really learned. No, I didn't come across as very learned today. I sounded like I was borrowing from an old sermon. It's because I sort of am. It's the sermon. It's the sermon of remembrance of what matters most. 
the primary focus of the Christian life. You open the Bible, what do you need? You need focus. You need a focal point. You know what your focal point is in the entire Bible? Jesus. The entire focal point of all history is Jesus. The entire focal point of the heavenly realms, when you look at that throne in the very middle, and it says in the midst of the middle is one named Jesus. It's a lamb that was slain. That is our focus, O church of Jesus Christ. And if we want to live this life with triumph and strength, we cannot listen to the beating of pots and pans around us. Doesn't mean they're not making noise, it's very real noise. But there is one who is greater, who is superior, and who will win. Has won and will prove his victory all the way into the end. Father, we hope in our God. We fix our gaze upon the one who can and who will be our salvation. Lord, we trust you. We know that you are faithful and true. And we fix ourselves to you with full and utter confidence. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.